On Wednesday evening, Harold's Cross Bridge in Dublin was closed off while Gardaí and members of the Defence Forces dealt with a grenade dating from the War of Independence. It was found in the Grand Canal close to the bridge, taken from the water and rendered safe. But it got us wondering, how many century-old grenades and other munitions are from the Revolutionary Era are still out there? And how dangerous are they? I'm joined now by Lar Joy, Port Heritage Director at Dublin Port and former curator of the military collections at the National Museum. Lar, you're very welcome indeed to the History Show. Thank you, Miles. Now, the discovery of these grenades in canals is actually a relatively common occurrence, it turns out. Yeah, if you look um, over the last kind of four or five years, this is happening maybe two or three times a year, um, quite spectacularly also uh, in some of the rivers because a grenade was found in Balls Bridge in 2017. And this, if you're on the internet, you'll see some very dramatic footage of it being exploded by the bomb squad uh, there in place, uh, just uh, near the bridge in Balls Bridge. So they are popping up in and around Dublin. And many of them are, are, of course, a legacy of the War of Independence and the Civil War when they were very, very prevalent. And of course, even since then, I suspect some have been thrown into the, the canal to be got rid of. So it has become a very, very common uh, event over the last couple of years. Now, the grenade that was found was called something called a Mills bomb. Is that the very kind of familiar, distinctive pineapple type grenade that we would have seen in countless war movies over the years? Yes, that's the, that's the one uh, invented by a gentleman called Mills uh, in 1915 and, and produced since millions and millions uh, in use uh, in the British Army and other armies right up uh, into the, the 1960s. Now replaced, of course, more by lighter uh, ones. But a very effective weapon uh, when, you, when you threw it in normally different times between four seconds and six seconds to explode. And then a, a killing range of about, uh, explosion range of, and wounding, killing people at about 20 metres uh, circular around the explosion. So quite an effective and nasty piece of, uh, of equipment. Um, and that's why they, even today they have to be treated with some safety. I mean, they, they are very dangerous to designed to do one thing. So if you do ever find one, uh, make sure that you don't touch it uh, and, and contact uh, the relevant authorities. So the cliche of pulling the pin and throwing, that's how it works. So um, a, a quick course on how to, to use a grenade. When you have a grenade, um, you'll, you'll, you'll see a pin, you pull out the pin, it has a lever. Um, and as you throw it, the lever will fall away from the grenade. And uh, once the lever falls away, the fuse will, will then set and then it'll explode uh, between uh, four seconds and, and six seconds. Gren- different grenades have different uh, lengths of time. They found in, in World War II, you know, if you went up to, say, 10 seconds, there was a chance somebody might pick it up and throw it back at you. So that's why it's quite short. And they're very, you know, accidents with grenades are, are, are common enough. And people, when they're throwing them, don't throw them far enough. Or if you're in a trench and trying to throw them out of a trench, uh, sometimes it can get caught at the top of the trench and fall back on top of you. So they're very, very dangerous. And when uh, in armies, when you're throwing your grenades, they normally will have you in a pit, but also they have a safety pit that in the case that a grenade gets dropped on the ground of your trench or pit, uh, you have an area to run to or jump into to get away from the explosion. So with grenades, I, I think it's, it's a word of caution and, and what can can go wrong sometimes will go wrong. Now, these grenades that were found from the War of Independence period, would they likely have been part of the Crown Forces arsenal rather than the IRA's arsenal? Yes. So uh, when we're looking back at the War of Independence, I mean, the the advantages with the British Army, they're the ones that are going to have these grenades. They're mass produced, very, very effective. Um, And again, units like the auxiliaries um, who would have come into Ireland 100 years ago, uh, when you look at, say, the Kilmichael ambush, when, when you look at the equipment list set out by Tom Barry after the ambush, 
they're all carrying one or two grenades as well as you know revolvers and, and rifles they're very very well equipped and uh, in an ambush situation grenades and throwing grenades are, are, are the ideal thing to have the IRA themselves of course um, wouldn't have access to this kind of production mass-produced weapon so they do make a big effort to make the steel casings for the grenades so you'll find even today uh, in the National Museum and other museums, uh, these casings which are made in places like the Inchicore Railway Works, but also in small foundries all over the country, quite easy to make for anyone involved in steelworks. However, it's the, it's the, the difficulty the IRA had a lot of the time was the explosive material. And what you find is they're carrying out raids in the early days, and, and Solhead Beg, the attack is on a RIC men who are guarding Jellignite. So looking for Jellignite was a big thing in, in 1919 but also trying to import explosives from England and then smuggled onto the various ferries coming into Dublin. So the, the, it's really trying to get that the explosive in and then unite it with the, uh, the steel-made grenade shells and then, of course, make uh, a grenade. However, I mean, it, it, you know, the creation of the fuse and everything else, uh, many of the times when you look at the various ambushes that occur, especially in 1920 and into 21. Um, you know, grenades are thrown, but they mightn't necessarily uh, explode. So you're going to have a dud for whatever reason. Sometimes the explosive doesn't work, sometimes the fuse doesn't work. Um, Inca Michael, Tom Barry starts the ambush uh, with a grenade, which does go off, uh, but I think that might have been a captured grenade. So, yeah, the advantage is definitely with the British authorities with their grenades, um, but the IRA are playing catch up. And by you know, May of 1921, you're starting to see a greater use of landmines and explosions to counter the uh, introduction of armoured cars and armoured trucks uh, by the British, the RIC and the auxiliaries and the army. And when the Crown forces withdrew from Ireland in 1922, why didn't they take all their grenades with them? Why are we finding them dumped in rivers and canals? I think the, the whole of 1922, it's kind of people kind of forget that it was actually the whole year of the British Army vacating uh, huge numbers of military barracks. And I always have a suspicion that quartermasters clearing out their stores and having maybe one, so too many grenades uh, were coming up with a solution of, of getting rid of excess of grenades that weren't officially on the books. About 20 years ago in the, in the, the National Museum in Collins Barracks during some building work, grenades were found in the barracks. Uh, buried and again they came from that period so you might imagine a a quartermaster having a a problem with his paperwork where he has too many grenades and it doesn't match what it says on the paper so the best thing to do is is get rid of the excess and just uh, dump them or get rid of them and of course the the other element that you have with with grenades is you know people uh, when they see something kind of military old like or not necessarily old but kind of as a keepsake might take these things home which is also uh, a quite a dangerous thing to do. What happened to the grenades in Collins Barracks that were found in Collins Barracks, which, is, of course, is the, well, is the museum? Very similar to what happened this week, I mean, which has happened over the last couple of years. Um, the, the bomb squad were, were called in, um, and they were taken away and later on disposed of. It would be nice to know the history of these grenades and to kind of find out if they have serial numbers and to kind of do the, the, the history, if you like, of them or the archaeology of them. However, you're never fully sure what state they are when you're found, they're found, so uh, safety is the dominant thing here. So they're taken away. They are recorded by the bomb squad and the details are recorded if they can be. Uh, and then a controlled explosion occurs because that's, um, you can never take the risk. You, you can't just leave uh, a grenade uh, on a shelf and hope nothing will happen. So they have to be dealt with there and then and safety is paramount. And have there been incidences where grenades have been retained as keepsakes and there have been tragic consequences, unfortunate consequences? 
There have. I mean, you, you come across occasions with collectors, you know, especially the, the fascination with the battlefields, say, at Normandy and also um, the World War One battlefields in Belgium and France, where collectors will bring back grenades and other keepsakes and, and pieces of um, artillery shells. Um, and there have been accidents in the past where pe- people have, you know, these lay dormant, nothing is happening uh, to them for a long, long time. Uh, and then suddenly an explosion occurs and uh, people are being killed. And it's, uh, it's you know, sadly, it's, it's a common enough occurrence. How much is still out there in terms of munitions, not necessarily just grenades, but guns and, and, and other weaponry? How much is, is not in museums or in collections, for example? I think Ireland being, a, being an island nation, I'm not sure if there's many guns and rifles out there. There are, as I say, these grenades are turning up because going into the canal is an easy way of getting rid of them. But overall, being an island nation, trying to get a gun into the country was difficult enough for the IRA and prior to that to the Fenians. Uh, in the 1860s. So uh, kind of illegal collections of weapons are, are, are kind of rare enough. And then you have to remember that in 1919 and 1920, the British government at that stage, anyone who held a, a gun license had the gun taken off them and, and the weapon put into storage. And uh, the same, something similar happened in 1972 at the beginning of the Troubles. So there's been these kind of regular um, intake of weapons from, from around Ireland. And if you can go back into the 19th century, the first gun licenses are introduced in Ireland as a, an experiment by the British government. So even before gun licenses are introduced in England, they're introduced in Ireland. So gun ownership in Ireland for legal guns has been well monitored. And even for, for legal guns, searches have been carried out. If you look at the, kind of the history books, a lot of the, the famous Thompson machine guns that came in from America in the 1920s, a lot of those were recovered in big, large arms dumps in 1942 and 43. So, um, you know, a lot of this stuff has already been, been taken up. When you look further afield, of course, in, in France and Belgium, I mean, material is cropping up every single day, and that's because those battlefields and the amount of equipment and amount of artillery was fired over a five-year period. And yet people are still actually dying in World War I, more than 100 years later, aren't they? And they have uh, operations in Belgium and in France to collect this ordinance, to salvage this ordinance, don't they? They do. I mean, um, it's estimated that different figures between 25 and 35 percent of the artillery shells fired in Belgium and France didn't actually explode. So even today, material with farmers in, working in the fields will come across shells. Luckily, a lot of them don't detonate. They, what the farmers will do is they'll, they'll put them over to the side of the field. Um, and then the French army and, and the Belgian army then have bomb squads that will go around to collect this material. Um, in 2017, I was, I was very lucky while over in Ypres to go and visit the Belgian army's bomb squad there. Um, and they have a huge facility. Um, it, it's, it's kind of eye-watering to look at the amount of uh, World War I artillery shells all stacked, ready to, to go for destruction. They also have a very, very large uh, chemical plant which deals with um, gas shells, so that the famous mustard and chlorine gas. Those shells are also coming up, and phosphorus. And they're being dismantled in these very large chemical plants. So the, the Belgian government is spending a large amount of money every year uh, making sure that uh, this material is destroyed. So its impact is still there today. And if you look at the casualty rates in and around Ypres, since 1918, um, 360 people have been killed coming across uh, grenades and artillery shells in and around that part of, of Belgium. And probably another 300 have been injured. So as you said correctly, I mean, since 1918, since the end of the war, people are still dying due to this material that's uh, still been found. So the moral of the story is, it's a variation, I suppose, of don't try this at home, which is don't bring these things home. 
please don't bring these things home. Um, in Ireland, if you ever come across if any questions, I don't think anyone's going to be embarrassed if you ring the local Garda station um, and they will they will contact uh, the bomb squads um, who can come out and, and check it. It's better to be safe in these situations rather than having a, an accident. We leave it there with that warning, Lara. Thank you very much indeed, Lara Joy, for joining us on the History Show to talk about grenades and some of the other century-old munitions that may still be out there.